everyone. Welcome to episode 383 of This Is Whole Life, where we get a chance every week to dig deeper into the topics being discussed here at Whole Life Church in Orlando. And this week, not to disappoint, we continue on with our much loved so far. I have to give it to, uh, to I don't know, whose mm-hmm. idea was this? Ken, was this was your idea? Ken's idea? I think it was Ken's. Yeah. And the uh, way to go, Ken. Yeah, way to go, Ken. Good job. I'll I'll take credit for the first three, the last four other people's ideas. You were only going to do the three churches of seven? Well, I mean, if those are the ones that are loved, then that's what I take credit for. He takes credit for the ones that are loved. There was the point, and it just went (laughs) right over my head. So, anyway, actually, I just wanted to uh, just say a big thank you to so many of you who this past week stopped me in the lobby, which was a small feat because I was only there for. A second mm-hmm. on multiple occasions. And each time I went through, somebody stopped me to tell me that either they were really loving how much extra information on this series we've been giving out on the podcast, which I think this series is kind of ripe for that. I don't think many of us really know all that much about Revelation, maybe outside of a seminar or two we may have endured as young as youngins. Youngins? <laughs> <laughs> Is that an or- I don't- youngins. I like it. It works. Go with it. Yeah, it works. And that last week. I think it was Bernie started laughing when he was trying to tell me how much he enjoyed the episode. <laughs> and he's like, thanks Bernie. He's like, as soon as Ken was like throwing people out of airplanes, he's like, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like two people said they had to reverse it to make sure they heard it correctly. <laughs> that Ken was actually uh, going for the idea of like survivor on a plane. Well, for... I don't understand what the surprise is. I, uh, I don't well, know. Maybe I, they need to spend I, more time with Ken. I was going to say, you haven't spent much time with me if that surprises you, but uh, it's you know, okay. I think it just means we need to start a Patreon where you can support the podcast through financial donations and you then you know one of the gifts at a certain level of giving is you can co-host one of our episodes that way you could be oh, i thought you're gonna say you get thrown out of a plane by ken that was, oh, uh... well that could be a, i mean you know for those of you who just don't have a good reason to go skydiving yet or if hey. randy decides our ratings need to be better well, yes. <laughs> maybe 400 happens in a plane i don't know it could happen could happen yeah. but bernie thinks now this now yeah. remember this is bernie who has said that we need to do something cool like for live. the 400th Right. For 400. Okay. Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Who sat down on it? Must have been Anderling. Anderling. <laughs> Must have been <laughs> Someone unnamed rigged another path member's chair, uh, who will remain unnamed, with an air horn that just went off, which, even though the doors closed and we have sound treatments in here, came through loud and clear. And we've been waiting for it all morning since uh, yeah. staff began. So, anyway, there you go. A little li- look into the life of uh, staff here the at, office, at Whole Life yeah. Church. Yeah, yes. at the office. So, Bernie, of all people, said, he's like, man, I don't know. January, right? It's, it's going to be cold. Bernie, it's Florida. (laughs) So Ken came up with a good idea, though. Bernie's a realtor, and he has access to a lot of locations. So maybe... We're Maybe. wanting your like your your most multi million dollar property, right? We want to have people out like with the sliding doors, the the great grand living area out to the pool yeah. kind of thing, where we can serve hors d'oeuvres and and snacks and things like that. And but yet it can be outdoors for those that are cold. They could be indoors. Right. And if we all used our social media, we could really promote this property for the owner. I'm just saying, look at the crowds you can have here. If you're a party person, look how good this place looks with a crowd. I'm what? just thinking about it. Bernie, and um, it's a podcast at wholelife.church, just in case you forget. One more thing of housekeeping, Cecilia came up to me this week and said, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And she said that Ken promised a good Pathfinder story a few weeks ago, and she'd put it in the chat, and apparently I had missed the good Pathfinder story that you were going to let anyone know that wanted one, and she wants one today. Oh, I think it was actually more than that, wasn't it? It was like my most... Like the most embarrassing, I think, yeah, pa- uh, Pathfinder yeah. story. So oh. this goes back a couple of weeks when Tomas. I really thought I got in past that. I uh, thought yeah, we'd, so this this mm. is how past episodes can come back, back to haunt you. you yeah. I guess so. people are catching up and they're like, "Wait a minute, I haven't heard this Pathfinder <laughs> story yet." Put that <laughs> on the list. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> this is where you might want to have your Pathfinders or I don't know. This this is a cautionary tale, so it might might be helpful too. So anyway, I was at. Uh, <laughs> At the Friendship Campery in Pennsylvania, oh. mm. and um, you guys, uh, you've ever you you've been to camperies, like, oh, yeah. right? I was I mean, at Camp Hale, the one. Before. So, what's the one thing you know about bathrooms? Uh, never go in without a buddy outside to guard the door. 
there's that. And, and also at this particular one, there were not nearly enough bathrooms. And so it was plan ahead, like plan way ahead. Well, <laughs> so as uh, fate would have it, we were, you know, you're, you're camping. So you've got hot chocolate in the evening, right? And so, um, so <laughs> the oh, man. story could go oh, man. so this many is... different directions. <laughs> okay. So I, uh, we may need to put a disclaimer on yeah, this, this one. Yeah, you might want one there. So anyway, so this, uh, so I had, uh, taken plenty of fluids in and, uh, right around, I don't know, bedtime-ish, I started to definitely know I needed to use the bathroom and, but we were having a good time talking around the campfire, so I knew I could hold a little bit longer. And then it, it really, I was like, oh, man, time to go. So I I went to the main, and there was, a, there was like a line, like worse than Disney, that like it was, <laughs> it was long. And I, and I looked at that line, and I, I knew there was not a chance on earth I would be able to wait through that line. So I was like, okay, they have porta-potties. You know, yeah. sprinkle around the area. So got to be another one. So went to the sprinkle. Went to yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the help. Um, so, so I go to the find one of the porta pies. It too has like a thirty minute line on it. I mean, it was long, and so I am at this point. I am dancing. I am just so beside. I if you've ever been at that point where you're like you can't even see straight because you're it's just like. You the know, pain is real. It's real. And <laughs> yeah. so I go to the next porta potty also. Just no way. So I'm like, okay, I cannot see straight. I cannot think straight. I've got to find some dark corner and do what needs to be done. <laughs> oh no. So I find what I believe to be a pretty dark corner, let it loose, and man, it felt so good. I got done. <laughs> went back to my uh to my uh, camp, just pretty sure I'd gotten away with it and uh, feeling pretty good about life <laughs> and feeling a lot better. Uh, went to bed. Next morning, got up. <laughs> and the um, our uh, Pathfinder director called us all into it. Into, <laughs> called us all to attention. And, and he said, I... <laughs> He said, I know none of you would ever do this. <laughs> he said, but, uh, you know, last night, somebody peed on the tents of our arch rivals. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I saw some of you had drunk a lot of hot chocolate and looked like a little antsy. I know this was none of you. <laughs> but, but. But make sure in the future you really couldn't see straight, could you? <laughs> I really could. And the, the thing about it was, is I did not do it on purpose. It was like really, it was really I, I had no idea there were tents anywhere near where I was at. And I think I was so, so, like so intent on not being caught. Oh, intent. <laughs> oh man! Wow! Oh. Melanie is on fire. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? She's oh, been spending. Too much time with Albert. That's Two of them, yeah. They, anyway, so anyway, so sorry about that, oh. Fletcher Pathfinder Club. This is the first time I've ever publicly admitted. admitted that. That. I don't know. I still maybe it wasn't me. I still have the hope that it was a dark corner, but the odds are good. Anyway, so, oh, so, um, so anyway, yeah. There you go. I I felt pretty terrible about that, oh. but I I guess uh, I wasn't probably. Anyway, they didn't ask for confessions, and I didn't didn't offer any. one. No, they, for us it was the buddy system, and don't bring your flashlight into the porta potty. No, no, because one of my best friends she came out and she's had this look of death on her face, and I was like, "What happened? It's really light in the porta potty, yeah. <laughs> and there's a there's her flashlight sticking straight up." Towards the ceiling. Yeah, that's done. And we were just like, no. She was like, I'm not leaving without that flashlight. Are you kidding? They fished that thing out of there. No. And they cleaned it. I'm like, not this guy. Are they still alive? Yeah, no, they're fine. Oh, my word. I'm just, here. it's looking at you, Tammy. I know you don't listen to the podcast. Not a chance on earth. Yeah, I'm just like, look, leave it for the next person. Although that might give them stage fright to not be able to go. Who cares? That's your problem. Of course, you know, that's my MO. Move on. Get out of here as quickly as we can before someone sees. Oh, that's funny. 
Oh, well, that was that was worth the trip down memory lane. <laughs> there we go. Uh, was it? I don't know. Uh, well, you know and what? that has everything to do with Thyatira. <laughs> Which is coming up next week. Oh, yeah, that's right. Next week. <laughs> so maybe it does. I don't know. Jeff's like, hey, you need to put that in the sermon. No, that's <laughs> no, podcast only. Podcast, <laughs> only. That co- podcast only material. Well, Cecilia, thank you for making sure we did not miss that because that, that just made my Tuesday a whole lot better. And I hope it makes your Wednesday a whole lot better. So as we start talking about Pergamum, which was the what was this was three right yep this was yeah. number three yep. three and out of seven you said that the only martyr in Revelation that was actually called out by name was Antipas yep you said there was a little bit of extra lore so I kind of feel like that's a good time to let's jump into that little bit <laughs> so of, if you didn't already get your children away <laughs> away from yeah you know this is uh I don't know what the right thing if you don't if you didn't enjoy Fox's book of martyrs <laughs> <laughs> right. this is uh or uh yeah, you just might want to be. So um, as church uh, lore goes, uh, tradition, so on and so forth, uh, Antipas was um, – one of the legends was that he was actually um, martyred by being put in inside of a brazen bull. And this is not – this may not be something that's familiar – let's hope it's not familiar to our, our more modern audiences, but a Roman inventor um, had – created a a bull that was made out of bronze with an interior that was empty and, and with a little hmm. lid underneath. And so what they would do to martyr a person is they would, or to kill a person, they would put the person inside this bull, light a fire underneath it. Whoa. And, you know, the, the, the bronze would heat, the person would uh, cook to death inside. And what made it especially heinous Whoa. was that the person who invented this bull had created a series of tubes that ran from the interior of the bull out through the nostrils of the bull. And so the screams of the person inside would go through those tubes and come out and sound like a bull snorting um, is the way that wow. this person had invented it. And so if that is truly what happened to Antipas, what a faithful person to be willing to, to go – have that happen to him because in these cases people were given the opportunity to curse Christ and live, and that's all that had to happen. And uh, Antipas wasn't willing to do that. Man, that's a. You think about even, I mean, crucifixion or being burned at the stake or, but this sounds even. I don't know. This is somehow well, I'm claustrophobic. So the first part <laughs> is once they lock me inside, even if I'm not sure what's about to happen, I'm already not a happy person. Is stuck inside a, a small confined space, which, at worst case, I figure they're not going to feed you or or give you water and yeah. let you just stay there until you die. In the heat and the confined space would have done me in to begin with. And then you really think about how much you would have, how much will you would have to have to not say, I'll just say whatever you want. Just get me out of the belly of this beast. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. I'm just wondering about all that surplus creativity that could have been directed somewhere else. Positive (laughs) positive outcomes, I suppose. It's it's incredible. It is is stunning, uh, humanity's ability to for cruelty, cruelty. Mm-hmm. and to come um, up with the worst. Yeah, That's, it really is. Hmm. Well, one thing that I thought was interesting before even the message got started was in the 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 pre video that uh, has accompanied each one of the yeah. messages, and it mentioned that there was four hundred and four verses in Revelation, with two hundred and seventy eight of those containing Old Testament references. Yeah, I think so far the three churches that we've done so far, all of them have allusions to Old Testament texts. In fact, um, the sermon that we coming up have coming up for uh, Thyatira, it's based off of Psalms too. So if you want to get ahead and you read and compare ahead of the sermon, um, Psalms two, if you look at it and compare it to uh, Revelation chapter two, where uh, Thyatira is spoken about, um, you will. It's it's fascinating. Hmm. So here's a fun fact. The grammar in the book of Revelation is written in Greek, but the grammar is so strange that some scholars say it's it's almost like John was writing in, in Greek, but he was thinking in Hebrew. Hmm. So I wonder, like, having having his brain in, in all those Old Testament references yeah. and also 
yeah, working on that at the same time in Greek. It's kind of interesting. Oh, that is good. That's Which is really strange because the book of John in Greek is quite simple. It's the one we actually translate first because it's yeah. so easy. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's that's one of the reasons why people are not sure that the book of John and the book of Revelation were written by the same person. Yeah. Hmm. Does Revelation work without looking back at the Old Testament? I mean, is that how we know that this is really we can confirm these these thoughts and we can look back to the Old Testament to what the prophet said? And, and is that why? Yeah, I don't, I don't no? think it works at all. It doesn't work. The, no. No? It, it completely doesn't work. And and pretty much for the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we've tied Revelation and Daniel together and very fairly tied them together because there, there's so much commonality. I think that one of the things that some Seventh-day Adventists um, may overlook, however, is how much other books of the Old Testament also mm-hmm. um play into Revelation. So if if all you're doing is comparing Revelation to Daniel, you miss the richness that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the psalmist, all of them have this imagery that plays into the book of Revelation that, that informs us that, that would have taken somebody who is reading Revelation, who had a background in, in the Old Testament, which that's that was the audience that John was writing to, people who were familiar with the Jewish scriptures, the, our Old Testament. They would have completely seen, oh, he's referring to Jeremiah here, he's, you know, son of man, that's that's Daniel, that's the heavenly man in Daniel, and there's, he talks about the son of God, that in, in the message to Thyatira, that's, that's Psalms 2, where he says, I've, I've, today I am your father, I am making my son. They would have completely recognized these illusions. They would have understood what was going on there. And what's more is it was a way for for John to write a shorter book without having to give more information because he's like, when you give a verse out of Psalms chapter 2, if you're familiar with it, you go back, you read the whole psalm, you're like, oh, so you're this this is, wow, that, that, that gives you way more information. So John was able to write fewer words, but point people back to things that would have given them more information. Early footnotes. Or, right. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. This is a rhetorical, so yeah, rhetorical, is it called synecdoche? Synecdoche? Some rhetorical thing where one represents the all or something like that. Hmm. You're the smart anyway, one. You're, you're, the one with that. That. you're the one that's good with words <laughs> with friends. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just seems like Revelation is such a book unto itself, or at least that's how I've always looked at it, is it's it's at the end of the Bible, and it's just, it's a book. And in the Daniel part, we're in three church letters, not that that's all of Revelation, but we haven't haven't talked about Daniel once so far, I don't think, have we? I don't think you've referenced those in any of the verses so far. I'm trying to think if I have or haven't. Uh, I usually put all the verses down in the media library, and I don't think I've typed a Daniel. Well, if it makes you feel any better, for sure this week we will be. (laughs) Okay. uh, Yeah. There you go. For sure this week we will be because of the way that uh, Thyatira Thyatira. plays into this. But yeah, it's all throughout there, and it's just beautiful, really, when you think about it, is that you have this capstone book of the the Bible that basically uses the rest of the— of, well, uses most of the Old Testament. I mean, it, it's using Genesis. It's using all kinds of different parts of the Old Testament, and it's pulling in stories. This last week, we were talking about Balaam, um, <laughs> you know, a story that that's out of the Book of Numbers. So you think about it; just it really plays across the entire Old Testament. I like your abbreviated version of Balaam in second service okay. yeah, for cutting for time because <laughs> th- to watch you mentally do the gymnastics needed to tell that story. In a short form was was very entertaining because it's like no wait a minute am I missing something oh wait yeah but well you can we'll have to look at that a different time and to go back and forth but for those of you who already knew this story to watch that was uh, was really was really fun and I and I thought that Balaam and Balak you said the it was kind of like the yabbats you know and I was always told growing up yabbats live in the woods. And so if that's where you're going to find them, you need to you need to search the woods and not use those as an excuse. Because yeah, but we could be doing we know we're supposed to be doing this, but we're gosh, yeah. what you're asking is kind of uh, kind of difficult. And then of course we have invisible angels, talking donkeys, lessons in God's patience. But the part that really was comforting in that part, and then when you think about that story, and if you haven't read it, go back and read it. It's a, yeah. it's an entertaining story all on its own. Full of wild twists and and 
talking donkeys. I mean, how much, <laughs> how much, how much more of an invitation does one need? But really, that God's will is done, whether we choose to take the right path to get it done or not. It's like, and I told you no already, but yeah, oh, you're going to go, okay, well, come on, let's go do it. <laughs> and either way, and to me, I, I know I'm that dense sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm confident of it. I've seen it enough times in myself to go, ooh, even if it's after the fact and you're like, wow, that was really, really, why did I take so long or why wasn't this more obvious? And to me, just knowing that makes me feel better when you put that up against, well, yeah, you're in Pergamum. This is where the the throne of Satan or the seat of power happens. And I could get locked inside of a bronze calf and, and melted to death, knowing that I'm probably going to go the, the, I'm probably going to go the wrong route, that God's not going to give up on me. And ultimately what he needs to happen to get done will get done. And I just thought that was maybe the the biggest takeaway for me personally for the message was really that this week. I really enjoyed that part. But if your Harley starts talking to you, you're going to have to report back on that. <laughs> All the time. All the time. When you, you know, it's when you downshift or you, you know, pull out to pass and it, potato, potato. It, uh, it does speak, but not quite that way yet. Thank goodness. Josephus, you mentioned him. He was yeah. another. We had Antipas. We've already gone there. What about Josephus? I, I've never, I've heard of Bocephus. <laughs> but I've never, I've never heard of Josephus. You've never heard of Josephus? Yeah, we've talked Josephus. about Josephus. Have we? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah sure maybe we have. have, and I just don't remember. But I was like, did he say Bocephus? No. I'm like, Hank Williams Jr. got nothing to do with... No. So for those Josephus. who may not rem- remember, like such as yourself, um, <laughs> Josephus was a, um, was a Jewish historian who lived kind of contemporaneously to the, the period that Revelation was written in. And he he was basically captured by the Romans and set about to kind of ingratiate himself to them by writing a history of his culture, his uh, the Jewish history. And so he um, has a lot of extra biblical information that, that historians have generally found to be generally reliable. Hmm. Am I uh, am I summarizing that pretty well? Sounds good to me. All right. Yeah. Nothing to add on Josephus or Bocephus. I, Josephus <laughs> is fascinating, by the way. If you yeah. haven't read his the works, it's it. He has a lot of extra information that, and in this case, we were talking about Balaam. Yeah. He adds a lot of you know extra information to some of the the stories that that we are familiar with in the Old Testament. Yeah, he I was also say some Hebrew history. Yeah. yeah, and I mean he also somewhat controversially talks about Christ. There's those who who debate whether that was added later by somebody well-intentioned or not, but uh, Josephus, in one of his writings, uh, talks about Jesus and that he... uh, that he was crucified, and some, and he said, and some say he'd come back to life, or his followers claim, or something along those lines, so... Yeah, I vaguely remember something about that. Man, you know, why is it that it all has to be shrouded in mystery? (laughs) <laughs> Otherwise, I guess what fun would it be to investigate if it wasn't? You earlier said that the main idea, you gave us that pretty early on, was which feast do you want to attend? Yep. And that Jesus needs faithful people in all places. And both of those put together, again, another comfort to me when if you don't always know at certain times, even when you feel like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm in the career I'm supposed to be in, I'm in a family situation I'm supposed to be in. I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with who I am. Like this is who I am. This is who God made me to be. And then the intermingling of cultures, that's a pretty sneaky solution when (laughs) Balak is really like, look, give me something (laughs) (laughs) because I'm paying you a whole lot of money and I've gotten nothing but heartache from you on this. And the intermingling of cultures in trying to, it's hard not to go and feast and hang out with your friends. It's hard not to, you know, you ask yourself, did God really say, I mean, he couldn't have said that if he knew how much I loved this person, no matter who they are. I know the Idolatry? Re- no, with, well, it was idolatry. The end result was idolatry, but the, the sneaky way to, to get to that. It's telling that the first commandment is what? Have no other gods before me. Yeah. So and, no matter how you get <laughs> and, no matter how and you get so there. the way that we often find ourselves 
having other gods is through the process of, well, but, you know, I mean, in this case, is it really that bad? And, and, and so idolatry is a big deal in the Bible, and we tend to skip over it pretty quickly because most of us, not all of us, but most of us don't have little images that we, you know, bow down in front of and, and worship and... Traditional ways. Um, yeah. You know, we don't necessarily do that, and so we, we kind of slap ourselves on the back and, and tell ourselves we're doing all right. But there's plenty of idols out there still in this world, and, and, for, and, and, and we, tend to, we tend to make the idols the things that are more of, a, of somebody else's... <laughs> Um, problem than mine, right? Um, and so idolatry can look like a lot of different things. It can look like putting my work in front of God. It can it can look like putting my comfort in front of God. It can look like... And what does it mean to put my comfort in front of God? We, we were talking a little bit earlier this day on a little bit of a different, but sometimes we're not willing... When we talk about putting things in front of God, it's not just God is the things that God cares about, like love and kindness mm. and and taking care of others. And so when we put our own comfort above those things, that, that can be a form of idolatry as well. And so each one of us probably do well to spend a little bit of time in thinking what what am I if God said I needed to give this up, I'd be I'd say, eh, I don't know about that, God. <laughs> I don't know about that. Or, I mean, what is it that's more important to you than your relationship with God? That that would be where idols come in. And and God does ask a lot, biblically speaking. He asked for a, he, he asked that Even we put spouse. him above everything else. Even yeah. your spouse. And if you think about that one, that's a tough. Yeah. That's that's kind of a tough one. And where, like, life has enough challenges all on its own, and you know, finding someone that even understands that same concept of that God has to be first in my life. And even though I may not live it all the time, I know that that's what I, I need to be working towards and to be okay that if, like Job, if everything was gone tomorrow, I mean, what do you have left? You you have God. And to think about or not understanding that God has to come first, that would be a, that would be a huge problem when you look at it in that, in that way and almost the way that they put this for – out there, go now. You got go. I see you. I see you. <laughs> no, I, I, I was just. I, I'm just gonna do the other side for balancing purposes. Absolutely. There, there are also a lot of people who use doing things for God. You can't see my air quotes. Doing things for God <laughs> as an excuse. I mean, like Jesus talked about people who you know donated all their money to the temple, and then they didn't take care of their parents. Right. And there are you know there are there are ministers who, um, you know, work so hard for God that they sacrifice their families. You know, there, there are people who will use this thing about, you know, this, this thing that, that, they, that they say that God wants from them as an excuse not to take care of the people or the relationships that they should be taking care of. So uh, I just was, I, I was just no, putting, the, putting the weight on the other side of that scale. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those, those are fair things. I think what it really comes down to is, having a really clear understanding of what God's asking of you. Mm. Um, and I think that really only comes by knowing God um, and by spending time with God in a variety of spiritual activities. I think that there are people who worship their denomination more than they worship God. That they're, they're more about the organized religion that they're a part of and if their organized religion goes against something that they have feel God or see God saying for them to do, they're like, mm, nope. The Bible is God's word, but the Bible is not God. And there are people who worship, I believe it was Paul who said they, that they worship the creation over the creator. Um, and he's using it specifically to talk about people who are being animistic and who are worshiping animals. But I, I think... For me, I feel like you can draw the same thing with people who would worship the Bible, cre the creation, the, the word that God's handed down more than they worship God. If I mean, you think about it this way. Think about the what it must have done for, for Paul 
to be able to say that circumcision was no longer a thing for the Gentiles, because in the Old Testament, God had called it an everlasting covenant between he and his people. And so naturally, the the Jewish folks who had become Christians were saying, well, as the new spiritual Israel, this is part of that covenant. And Paul says, no, that you're, you're laying a burden that is not a burden that God... And they said, well, but look at the scriptures, Paul. And, you, and so I think it's important not that we... That not that we degrade the importance of the scriptures, because I think it's incredibly important, but I think it's very important that we don't worship the scriptures above God and the revelation of God to us now that's consistent with the principles throughout the Bible. I think it's really important for us to think a little bit about that and to to be careful about what we're worshiping. There's a name for that, actually, bibliolatry. Bibliology. Bibliology. Mm-hmm. Oh, say that one three times fast. I've, I've never so, heard that. You know, I once heard a really good sermon on the Ten Commandments that's and, awesome. and idols. I think it's episode 301 of the podcast if you want to go. I will double check that, though, but it was early 300s. We went through the law series, Love at Work, not love at your workplace, but love <laughs> at work kind of thing. You know, get yeah. law. Um, pretty cool. It's like someone came up with that. But I'll put that in the show notes because I think that uh, if you want to go a little bit deeper into that, I think we already heard a pretty good sermon on that. So we can continue. As you started to close everything up, the right of the sword was a concept that was, I again, not really, I'm not sure I've ever heard that before, but the way you worded it, it was like, Jesus is like, yeah, I, I know what it is. And, the, you know, it's that, that you have the sword of justice, but guess what? I got one too. And, uh, you know, who do you want to judge you? <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. you know, it's it's so lost sometimes on someone who may not be a believer. And myself being that, I would put myself there for a long time in my life, never gave it a second thought. Like, you know what? If everything just were coming down to, hey, it's the end of the world and someone's going to judge where you go or what you were or who you were. And even if you knew very little about Jesus, it's like, who do you, I mean, we've all seen the justice system that we have here, even in probably the best justice system in the world, or one of the best, which is full of holes itself and probably on the decline. But at the same time, it's like, man, I want Jesus's sword. I'll pick that one. I'm pretty sure he's at least as, uh, if there's if there was ever any good in me. So here's a little <laughs> extra credit that, um, or a little extra for you that I didn't have time to get into in the sermon, but there are two different words for sword that are often used in the New Testament and in the book of Revelation. One is kind of the typical Roman sword that a typical Roman soldier would have carried, which was... Um, it was going to be maybe two or three feet long, and um, it was it was more dagger like, and it was it was made for kind of stabbing. And then there was a the second kind of sword, which was a very large, very heavy, slightly curved sword that was much longer, much heavier than this the other one that I was talking about. And and this is the sword that was used for execution. It was the sword that was going to cut through just about anything. It was it was heavy and it it did the job. And that is the sword that is being the the word for sword for that's sword. being used in this particular text. Is wow. it's not it's not a a common sword. It is the sword. You know, it's the sword that that judgment's going that's going to happen with. That executions would be. Uh, carried out with. And so this is what we're talking about when we talk about the right of the sword. Only the Roman government, go- Roman government reserved the right to decide who lived and died. That you did not have, um, just like within our judicial system, you know, you can't get a group of citizens together and say, you know, I think Ken needs to be executed tomorrow. You could, but there would be consequences for that. You have to go through a process in the United States. You know, there's going to be a trial. There will be a jury. If a death penalty is going to be invoked, that takes a special, even higher um, thing to have. I, I'm right now listening to um, uh, William Barr, uh, Attorney General under Trump, near the, the end of Trump's term, listening to his autobiography, and he talks about how I did not realize this, but I guess every time that there is a federal execution, the the attorney general actually has to physically call 
the prison that this execution is taking place in and verbally sign off on that execution before it's allowed to proceed, which I, I didn't know that they I took that level. No. Of, but you think about that, and this is what this is this is what we mean when we talk about the right of the sword. It means that even even somebody who's been convicted, who's been sentenced, even then it takes a word from the highest governmental now this is not this is on the federal level so don't this is not I'm not talking about the states that have death penalty and by the way we're also not talking about the justness or unjustness of the death penalty right now we're just talking about what what is <laughs> yeah. um, and so but the point is the Romans had that same kind of mentality, and I should say we probably borrowed it from them, that only the government could really give permission for somebody to be executed, and thus it is the right of the sword. And in uh, in Pergamum, it was the capital of Asia Minor. It was where the, the Roman governor uh, lived in executed judgment. And so for... It, you know the brilliance of what Christ and John are doing in the Book of Revelation is it's it would have so jumped off the page to each one of the churches they're reading through. They're like, yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, Christ has a double-edged, heavy sword that's for execution. That is, and he's using it in in uh, in Pergamum. This makes complete sense because Pergamum is where this kind of power by the Roman government is taking place. And yet, Christ here's Christ saying, yeah. Um, you know, going maybe back to when Christ said, "Don't, don't fear, mm-hmm. um, don't, you know, don't fear earthly authorities. Uh, fear the person who has the ultimate authority." And that's in, that's what Christ is saying. He said, "I have the ultimate authority. The Roman government can judge you one way, but but I'm the one who has the ultimate judgment. Hmm. Um, the one who's able to make the ultimate judgment." Three cheers for him having the ultimate, yeah, right? Judgment. Especially right. since he was a lot more grace filled <laughs> than the uh, than the Roman government was. Yeah, absolutely. Every week, it seems like there's more and more little history tidbits, little things that we're all learning together, which has been really, really great. And also towards the end of the message and had relayed a story from your your own career about a time when it was really hard not to go out with your coworkers and maybe be at a place that you don't really feel comfortable being at. And a question in the chat from Jared who said, what should we do then when we love our non-Christian coworkers slash friends and really want to spend time with them? You know, maybe in, maybe in that same kind of scenario, because this came right about the time I believe that you were, were uh, referencing that story from yourself. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a, it's such a nuanced question, right? Because yeah. what's right for me may not be right for you. What do I mean by that? Well, when I worked in in news, um, we we our our station was in a strip mall, and there was literally a bar on either side of our of our station. And as soon as, and sometimes before the newscast was <laughs> over, it was like you know, if you ever watched the old TV show Cheers, where you know just everybody comes walking in, Norm, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um. And so when the news would be get done, our KUAM crew would go the, to the to, to the bar on the right, generally. Some and then and they'd all go in. That's where they'd hang out. Uh, I anchored the ten o'clock news, and one of my least favorite things about anchoring the ten o'clock news is how many times most of my crew was hammered um, <laughs> doing doing the cast. It was it was an adventure. And here's the thing: for me, alcohol is is something I'm afraid of. I, I come from a pretty a addictive background and yeah. I feel for me pretty afraid that if I started drinking it would p- take me somewhere I don't want to go and make me into a person that I don't want to be for mm-hmm. me yeah now that said I've never been alcohol has never been something that's been particularly tempting to me as far as that goes I, I kind of feel like if I started I probably wouldn't stop but since I've never started, Makes it easier. It's not really. A, <laughs> yeah. It's not really something that has me where I'm tempted or, or where I feel like, oh man, it's so hard not to to have a drink or whatever. And so I remember, um, I remember probably a couple months into my stay there, um, one of my close friends at the station said, "Can you? Why don't you ever come to the bar with us?" And I said, "Because I don't drink, Mike." And Mike said, "Well, I don't care whether you drink. I just would like you to hang out with us. You know." You kind of are acting like you're better than the, 
they're too good to do that or something? I said, no, 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 that's not it. It's just like, you know, bars are not my scene. That's not my thing. He goes, well, he goes, it'd mean a lot to some of us if you'd come hang out with us. So I really went home and thought and prayed about it. And, you know, in a conversation with my wife and I, we, we, for me, I know that alcohol isn't a temptation. So we, so I thought, you know what, I will go once and hang out and, and, you know, I'm not going to drink. I'm going to, you know, pay six dollars for a sprite. It's so <laughs> so angering that the that my soft drink was more expensive than their beer. But whatever. Um, but there's I, a penalty. There, there is yeah. a penalty. Yeah, it is. But every so often, I would go hang out with my with my crew, not to endorse what they were doing, but to be with people that I loved and I cared about and that that mattered to me. That said, this is another group, or I shouldn't say another group, but certain. Part of my KOM family also liked to go to strip clubs a lot, and it would invite me to go do that with them. And that's something that I said no to. Yeah. Even though hanging out was, you know, you say, and so what was the difference? Well, the difference for me was in the commitments I have to my wife and the commitments that I have to God and the things that I think bring me closer to God and the things that take me further away from God. And I love my friends and I love the people I care about, but I will never do something with my friends or acquaintances that pulls me away from God. I'm if I shouldn't say never, but my goal is to not do, not that. do that. Yeah, absolutely. My goal is to not do that. And so for me, the difference between those two things was for me, the strip club was going to pull me away from God. It was going to pull me away from commitments that I've made to my wife. And so for me, it wasn't a good thing for me to be doing with them, whereas going to the bar next to the station every so often to hang out with them, not to endorse what they were doing, not to, not, but just because they're my friends and I love them and that's where they're at, that was different for me. Um, and so I think each one of us has to carefully think, what is it that's going to pull us away from God? What's what is it by doing that that we may cause somebody to think that something's okay that isn't okay for them? That's something else that Paul talks about the stumbling block in somebody's path. And so these are all things that you kind of have to think about and work through. And I think I've got I've got friends that that going to a bar would be a really bad idea for them in any circumstance for them because they, they've struggled with alcoholism and for them to go into that bar would be really hard to do because it might put them in a place where they go back to some some things that were that have caused destruction and hurt in their lives. So that's really important for us to think through those things. I have to think as a pastor, one of the things I have to think about is some of the things that if I get seen doing it, even though it may not be wrong for me, could it cause somebody else to go, oh, well, if it's not wrong for Ken, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And it might cause them to have some some problems because it isn't what's right for them and it's not what's best in their life. And so I do have a certain responsibility to think about what's best for those around me and not always what's what you know what I want to do all the time. And I think yeah. context is everything. Context, I haven't yeah. I haven't spent a whole lot of time in bars recently <laughs> um, because I don't you know most of the friendships that I have now don't need me to go to a bar with them. Yeah. Um, my friends who aren't Adventist, we do things that don't involve that, and, and that's because it's just different. So for me, context is everything. If if I don't need to, no, I don't just walk down to a local bar and just <laughs> grab <laughs> no, a $6 I, Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like what you said about context is everything. I, re- I mean, my dad was a pastor, so when I was a kid, I got really used to my dad picking me up from school, and I always brought a book with me because I knew I was going to get stuck in the car while my dad went and did a Bible study somewhere. And I remember one day he picked me up from school, and we drove downtown to this little town that we that we lived near and he parked the car. He said, I'll be back. And then I watched him walk down the street and then I watched him walk into a bar and I sat there in the car and read my book for about an hour. And pretty soon my dad came back out of the bar and got in the car and I was like, what were you doing in the bar? And he said, well, there's, you know, some people, some people that I met and they told me this is where they were going to be and they wanted to study the Bible. So 
I went in and had a Bible study with them. And I remember, I remember being very judgmental as a child. <laughs> and I, I remember telling, what if someone saw you? Like, what would they think if they saw you as a pastor walking into a bar? And his response was something to the effect of, you know, I, I wasn't there to party. I was there to hang out with people. I was there to study the Bible with people. And he said, Jesus, Jesus got called out a lot for hanging out with with what other people thought were, were you know, sinners or, or tax collectors or whatever. And, and he said, if, if I know what I'm doing and what I'm doing is right, then if people want to call me the same names that they call Jesus, then I feel like I'm in good company. Nice. I do think it raises questions that we we as church members, you know, because on the other side of that is when we talk about we, you know, we always talk about the weaker brother mm-hmm. or and and a lot of times what we talk about as the weaker brother is really not the weaker brother. It's a critical member. Yeah. Um and, and I don't really, you know, I think that's, you know, maybe a message to us as a community that when you say context is everything, I think also we need to remember that, you know, Matthew 18 is everything as well. Mm-hmm. If I have a problem, it, rather than creating a gossip situation yeah. because I'm a, I'm a member that's concerned about something, that we actually go and say, hey, you know, if it's Ken or if it's any of us, yeah, that we al- that we allow that opportunity. I know this is a little off topic, but the I part right on topic, the mm-hmm. part where Pergamum and I really liked what you said, Ken, is that these are people that stayed. These are people that were in the city, the seat of Satan, so to speak. Yes, where which, Satan lives. Yeah, where <laughs> Satan lives. By the way, I borrowed the uh, bad neighborhood from, uh, that's from great. Melanie. Yeah, <laughs> I borrowed. She's, we were practicing. She's like, yeah, that's a bad neighborhood. I was like, oh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, no matter where you live, that's a bad neighborhood. But I think it's, a, it's really incumbent upon the community to be a part of that as well, is that if you're going to have people that stay, you're going to also have to have a community that is willing to go that extra mile and say, no, 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 I'm not a weaker brother. I'm a, I'm a supportive community member. So it's amazing how many, how many Christians are really happy to fall into the weaker Weaker brother brother. category. (laughs) And, you know, when Paul wrote that, he really wasn't talking about the local church elder. No. <laughs> he was talking about somebody who is maybe new to the faith, who is still trying to get their bearings, and was like, "Whoa, why, why did I just see Pastor Ken walking out of yeah. out of the bar? That doesn't really make sense. I, I was told not to be in that bar, so why is Ken there?" That's that's what. Paul was talking about, but he was also hoping that that weaker brother had been introduced to Matthew 18, where he goes, hey, Ken, I saw you coming out of that bar. What was going on there? And Ken says, oh, thanks for asking. I'm glad yeah. you asked. I have some very close friends that I was doing a, you know, yep. Melanie, I was doing a Bible study with, because that's where they're at. And, you know, thank you for asking and giving me the opportunity to clarify that with you. Before um, it goes any further, it becomes <laughs> yeah. a different tale. I think that some Christians just really love to, to ride that... Uh, uh, you know, I'm the weaker brother. You've got to, you've got to not pay attention. You've got, you know, you can't do that because you're going to offend me. Well, that that really wasn't what Paul was intending there. Yeah. Well, Melanie, your parents are two of my new favoritest They're people awesome. anyway, and because they like my coffee. And then, <laughs> you know, and then secondly, though, that is that just warms my heart. There's a lot of bars where there'd be a lot of receptive people to a Bible yeah. study yeah. if actually given the chance in the right yeah. in the right setting. I, I I know that to be fact. Mm-hmm. All right, Jared, thank you for the question. We yeah, super we, good question. we dove deep into that one. We have a a synopsis from the Maxon family. So guys, we uh, Cecilia Where'd came go, up to me Zan afterwards. And Cecilia. Yep, they were like, we loved this sermon series. We loved this past sermon last week, and we we spent like the whole afternoon talking about it. Man, that uh, makes uh, that makes that makes Ken's ha- heart happy. Heart happy, <laughs> no, for sure. And so they sent us a list of questions that they wanted us to talk about it, but they were so kind.
mind, I think it was Cecilia actually, so thank you, who uh, broke it down into kind of a conclusion in a couple of sentences, and we're going to go through those. And uh, they did want to mention that we'd like to preface this with the caveat that we are not Revelation scholars. And so uh, right there with you. So I feel like uh, now there's another uh, four or five in the room with me to offset the three that are uh, here at the podcast. So moving on, let's start with the first one. We understand the idea that we shouldn't be persuaded by peer pressure, but we've also said that you don't build relationships without interacting with people. You can't have a relationship with God without talking to them. So how are we intended to spread the good news while never rubbing elbows with people who don't know the good news? And I would say, I think we just covered just, that. That one. was a good part of that last question. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important to say that just to kind of add just one little bit more, it's not, it's, it's not just about, we absolutely have to rub elbows with people. We absolutely need to spend time with people. How we do it, matters. And, and so again, context becomes important. So yeah. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time and a place for everything. Mm-hmm. But And so really asking for God's wisdom. But in the case of Pergamum, we're talking about them being tempted to go into these local temples. And it wasn't simply just going and hanging out. The very act of being in that was seen as an act of worship like you were accepting it. You were you were accepting it. You were yeah. worshiping. It wasn't it wasn't neutral. It wasn't like me sitting in a bar with my friends who knew absolutely that I was not condoning whatever. If you walked into that temple and you were in there, you were taking part in the food. You were absolutely in the culture of that time of that day saying you know what? I am I am doing the act of worshiping this idol. And, and, you know, it goes back to those Ten Commandments, the first one, you, yeah. know, if, you know, have no other gods before me, you know, don't have idols. And so that was what was so problematic with it and why it's a little bit different than what we just talked about just now. Anyway, so I just kind of want to add the context. And, and by the way, one of the things I love, and if, you know, if you read the full email, You'd see that uh, you know as the Maxons are going through here, they're not necessarily agreeing with everything I I preach, and I love that. You should. I hope everybody goes home and debates vigorously because I don't think I'm a, I th- I don't think I'm a hundred percent right. I'd like I try to be, but I don't, I'm sure I get things wrong, and I'm sure that five or six years from now I'll look back and think, oh man, I could have done that better. I could have said this better. Well, it's interesting that you bring this point up in the terms of a a lot of people back, especially back then, if you were even part of a city, like you had mentioned the week before with Smyrna being, well, our city is about following Rome. Right. And there were, there were, there was thought to, Hey, if you're a citizen of that community or of that city. So, so it's a real, it's a real interesting you know, play that these people who become Christian in these towns that are known for certain things. And so here's, you know, here's Christians in the midst. And and by the way, back then, it's not like you could just decide to move out of your city. Hmm. You couldn't. And it was, matter of fact, excommunicated from a city was literally, you, you're giving up your life, literally, because you were a no man, you were a no man in no, in no country, so to speak, and, or no woman. So it, 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 these people are in these towns trying to navigate through a, you know, a really difficult, you know, because just being in that town sometimes labels you as part of that town. Hmm. So these are, you know, contextually speaking, these are so really they were, you're rough. Times. They were trapped. Like they it, didn't well, really not have a... trapped. Obviously, they were free because now they're Christians. Sure, but, but they're trying to navigate through. What does it mean? And I think you know, Paul says it correctly. He says we all know that these idols mean nothing. But yeah. but think about who you know who you are. And I think he is concerned about the community of the church that's reading all of the experiences of all the different churches, which I love about Ken's series, is that this is a letter that they're seeing about how everybody's doing it in every town that's got Christians in it, so speak, in Asia Minor. 
a little scary, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone gets to, we kind of talked about it before, everyone gets to read everyone's junk, yeah. but also some of the really bad stuff that's going on. I'm a little yeah. fearful, I'm sure. Yeah. All right, number two, they said, Jesus said he came for the sick, not the healthy. So is sequestering ourselves while waiting for the better, the better feast selfish? And I guess that would depend on whether or not you sequester yourself as to whether it would be selfish for me personally. Because, you know, we think of even just looking around and sometimes you say, how much do or how well do I know my neighbors? I mean, do I know them? Do they know me? Do they know that there's anything if they aren't believers or are they believers? Have they been what have they been exposed to? And part of that is just sharing the good news with whoever God puts in your path to make sure you don't have that (laughs) selfish, sequestered feeling when sometimes it's hard to know who to Mm -hmm. share with or when to share with. I think also, if you look, I mean, again, context, fantastic (laughs) word. When you look at at what Jesus was doing, he he was pushing back against the practical application of some of the values and principles of the religious people of his time. And I think what he was trying to do with the way that he interacted with people was was to demonstrate the actuality of what it means to live out, you know, the love and the values of the community. And so for some people, that probably seemed like an act of rebellion. And what is he doing over there hanging out with those people? And Jesus is saying, well, I'm living out what you profess to believe. And so that, I think, was a different context than people who are a minority living in a very hostile environment where they are seen as, you know, like we talked about last week, they were seen as atheistic, they were seen as vile, they were seen as, you know, all of these these different things. And also because they were not participating in 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 all of the aspects of society that related to the idolatry that they were trying to stay away from, they could not participate economically quite the same way either. So in some ways I, I I wonder if it was not so much them sequestering themselves as it was that was just a natural consequence hmm. of the fact that they could not participate. And I think that's also possibly, I'm just conjecturing now, I think that's possibly also why, you know, these communities of Christians ended up being, you know, created in which they supported each other. Um, there's a term fictive kinship, and that means that maybe this person isn't actually your family, but it com- but they're part of your family within this context and this idea. So this 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 sort of amalgamation of family took place within these Christians who took care of each other and supported each other. And I don't know, and I, I think that they still were engaged in the community to the degree that they could because they were trying to share their beliefs. Of course, for some people, that was in terms of explanation and sort of apologetics. And then for other people, it was, it was more um, polemical. And, I, and that's also why I think Paul went out of his way to say, hey, listen, don't cause problems. Like, you're already, you're already <laughs> in trouble enough. Don't go break laws. Don't, don't, don't you know, fly in the face of, of some of the societal norms. Or, norms, exactly. Yeah. yeah because because you're, you're already in a precarious <laughs> place. Well, I think, too, what I hear you saying is just the way that we live our lives, if we really are try, truly trying to live in, in with with love and with the gospel in our hearts, that, that itself is a testament to, I think, not sequestering ourselves from people. Because, face it, not all of us know or are comfortable enough in our own experience or our own walk yet to walk up to Ken and just say, Hey, Ken, do you know about Jesus? That's a, that's a rough sell. Whereas if we're, have might not be a particularly like uh, effective one either, but yeah. It, it, so I think, yeah, can I just, can I tell ahead. you how hilarious? So uh, my son, Eric flies between Sanford and Asheville, uh, North Carolina on a fairly regular basis. And, uh, and uh, he gets on the plane, he sits down, and this lady um, who's seated, seated next to him said, looks at him and says, do you know my Jesus? <laughs> and Eric said, I know Jesus. <laughs> I don't know and, about you. And, uh, and she goes, yeah, but do you know my Jesus? Oh, goodness. Gosh, I hope you're And Eric said, 
Well, my dad's a pastor, so I feel pretty pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. And she looks at me, she goes, oh, those are the hardest to save. Oh. <laughs> so, wow, that's a so sales pitch right I want there. you to know that was not an overly effective yeah. sales pitch. No. Sales well, pitch. Let's and, not do that. And so, yeah. you know, <laughs> how we go about doing it sometimes, you know, I, I think that sometimes we think that, like, if you just, you know, that somehow God like absolves you from the blood on your hands if you if you just tell some batter somebody with the truth and run off. Yeah, um, I call it drive by evangelism. Yeah. And can you also please, please, I beg of you, can you also please not be the person who on Super Bowl Sunday morning announces on Facebook and all your social media platforms that while everyone else is participating in this terrible sin called the Super Bowl, you will be reading your Bible. Can you please not do that? <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to do that <laughs> if that's what God's calling you to do. But you know, yeah, that's not going to be terribly effective. Is just all I'm saying. Yeah. Point, yeah, point, but, pointing out what is it? I, I guess it would be considered pointing out somebody else's idolatry. Idolatry. See, we can bring this back to anything we want whenever <laughs> we want. We want. <laughs> We're good. All right, Maxon's family. We're down to the last one. We might argue that sitting in an echo chamber of Christian ideals would be com- would be the comfortable option, whereas going into places of need would be more difficult. Check. What do we consider faithful versus unfaithful? How do you be? How can you be a witness without interacting with people? And that's obviously you can't. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't mind. I don't mind the uncomfortable if it's a if it's a clear something that God has put you in where there's been situations where it's like, oh man, last thing, like I'm tired. Uh, we've all done the plane ride next to the person like Eric. We've, you know, all been in a place where someone maybe has questioned something. And the first part is, unco- I mean, I don't mind the uncomfortable really as long as I know that what I was, the reason that I was in the position that created the question in the first place was a good reason. I honestly think that more times than not, that's where maybe not the person who thinks you might be doing something wrong, but the person you were there for finds it even more because they know what they know the situation that you're in. Ken's Ken's castmates, their workers at uh, coworkers at the radio station, they knew what they were putting you in by asking you to do that. But it meant enough to them to still ask. But if someone had been like, "Whoa, Ken, I see you've been hanging out over at the tavern after work on a couple nights a week." Any one of those person people would have been, I'm sure, happy to say, you know, we we just really want Ken here, and um, Ken drinks his sprite, his overpriced sprite, with a yeah. smile on his face. And nobody offered to pay for that one. I can <laughs> tell you that. Right. So. The next rounds on me, yeah. Ken's sprite was not included. Yeah, right. um, So, but can I tell you one of the cool things though is that when people know what you believe, a lot of times they'll respect you. And I, one of the things yep. that I didn't realize until I was about two years into working at, at KOM was, I just took it for granted. They changed the night that they had their Christmas party for me. I never knew it. I didn't know that until later. They they put their Christmas party on Saturday night instead of Friday night. I never asked them to change it, but they just knew that I wouldn't be there on Friday night because of my beliefs the, yeah. when it comes to the Sabbath. And you know, when I found out that, because I, I can't remember how I found out, I, was, I think we were talking about and somebody said something. I was like, well, no, but Christmas party's on Saturday night. Like, oh, yeah, we changed that a year ago. And I was like, wait a minute, that's when I got here. And they're like, oh, you're smart, aren't you, Upmore? <laughs> he and quick. <laughs> and, but, but like, never even asked them to do it, and they did it. And that, and so, again, that doesn't always happen, and it's not always your experience, but I think... I don't think I would ever suggest that we should live in an echo chamber. I think it's important for us to be around people. In fact, Paul says, I don't expect you to come out of the world. Just you be in the world, but don't be of the world. And that that is a tricky, tight, mm. tight rope to walk. And it's one that you, I think you only walk it by having your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. You just mm. keep your eyes on Jesus, walking towards Jesus, and you'll get there just fine. But it's when you put your eyes in other places that you wind up having problems. But yeah, I think we've, we've I think we covered got that it. stuff. Yeah, it works. I think it's important that you know that you're not dishonest with yourself yeah. too. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Because it's it can be extremely 
you know, it can be a rationalization on a lot of things. We can talk ourselves into yeah. just about anything. And, and if you look at Jesus is accused of hanging around with tax collectors and publicans and what they call sinners, you know, obviously their list. But, it, you know, it's not like he's he's going around asking everybody to be supportive of these places. He's just saying, let's let's not, because in... In the, I think in a Jewish mindset, I like what Melanie you said in regards to what Jesus was trying to push back against, and then he was saying, "Hey, these are these are your rules, so to speak, is to love yeah. these people, and you're not doing it, and this is how you do it. This is how, yeah. Because otherwise, they would have just said, "No, that's a he's a eunuch. We don't hang around with eunuchs. He's a publican. We sure. don't hang around with publicans. He's a tax, and so on and so forth." Yeah. And we've labeled the people as opposed, you know, to, you know, some of the things that sometimes we get kind of bent out of shape about. (laughs) Absolutely. And finally, they said, Pastor Ken is welcome to sit with the cool kids anytime. (laughs) So I I, I don't know. uh, That's the thank thank you to the Maxons. Pastor Ken can? What do the rest of us have to do to qualify? <laughs> well, they know that you just always stand in the back all aloof and, you know, just uh, Whoa, in your, in your little echo chamber back in the oh. back. So. <laughs> so there you go. So, uh, wow. No, this is – so if you know, the, fun, the fun part is I usually sit on, like, that second row, but it had been kind of set aside for the uh, baby uh, dedication, and so there was uh. – I um I looked and I'd put my Bible down on the third row, which is where the Maxons traditionally sit. No, that's sit. their spot for sure. And they uh they had left the Bible on the chair, but they were seated all around it. And I was like, well, can I sit there? And like, you can sit with us. And I was like, oh yeah, I get to sit with the cool. There kids. you go. <laughs> and so I gotta start. I gotta start scoping that out earlier in the day. Apparently. Yeah. All right. Next week, the seven churches of Revelation continues in. How do you pronounce Thyatira. it? Thyatira. T H, is Thyatira. Mm-hmm. Th. 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 Thi. Thi. I thought you said phi, like phi, beta, kappa. Uh, the, no. No. Thi. 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 Thyatira. Thyatira. Or at least that's the way the southern boy pronounces it. Thyatria, but maybe. I don't know. That's why I asked. I don't I have no idea. We'll go with Ken's version. He's educated in this version, not me. We'll see. Possibly. Oh, we'll probably get somebody letting us know. <laughs> yeah, how probably. If you have the correct pronunciation, you can dial 407-965-1607. But please leave a voicemail and actually and do it before, say it. Do it before Sabbath so yes, <laughs> I can get it right. <laughs> Send it in uh, before then, and we'll make sure Ken gets your pronunciation correct. So that's it for this week. I think we covered everything. Man. Continue on the 400, episode 400 live uh, podcast ideas. Uh, we've heard from inside. I need a rebuttal for outside, why it's better, where maybe, and with that, maybe a location you can think of that's outside. I don't know. I'm down for a uh, really swank, multi-million dollar home. That, that's true. Uh, let's, let Bernie defu- let's, let, let's let Bernie debunk that option before we really start going from uh, there. All, yeah, okay. all of Bernie's clients right now are <laughs> reconsidering their contracts. Yeah. Hopefully they're, hopefully they're not listening. What are you talking about? They're like, wow, this is the best. I mean, he gets us free stuff Publicity. on a podcast. Yeah. And, uh, you know. We'll yeah. take listings back. We'll post them up, you know. <laughs> but maybe we should maybe we should mention that Bernie has not agreed Authorizes? to this. No, 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 no nor no, has no. he asked for it or anything yeah, else. No, so. no, no. Yeah. So if you're a client of Bernie's, it's not your house. Never fear. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> anyway. So unless it's your house. I mean, I don't know. So anyhow. <laughs> and I know that Bernie is the type of person who get permission before he did it. So, you know. Bernie's the best. We're He's just awesome. here to hopefully... Uh, if we can, but if but if it could work, you know that'd be that'd be awesome too. Just Bernie, saying. let us know. Just so we're, we're coming up with good ideas. <laughs> so thank you, thank you everyone for listening, for sharing, and uh, for all the questions. Uh, they really brought another level of conversation this week, as they always do. So continue with those, and we'll look forward to next week with you all. Have a great week. 